0: Hello and welcome to the Talking Precision Medicine podcast. In this series, we sit down with experts on the application of AI and big data analytics in the drug discovery space. Our guests are innovators, business decision makers, and thought leaders at the intersection of data and therapeutics. We discuss the promise, practice, challenges, and myths of AI in precision medicine. This show is brought to you by Genialis, and Raphael, its CEO, is your host. Genialis is focused on data integration and predictive modeling of disease biology to help accelerate the discovery and de-risk the development of novel therapeutics. Today, our guests are Charlie Silver and Nigel Beard. Charlie is CEO and Nigel CTO of Mission Bio. Mission Bio is a single-cell analysis platform company empowering researchers to cure cancer. They are the first company to deliver simultaneous measurement of the genotype and phenotype at single-cell resolution. In this episode, we talk about the audacious mission at Mission Bio and how their groundbreaking platform enables a whole new set of questions to be answered in cancer research. We also go deep on potential clinical applications and the future of single-cell multi-omic datasets. Let's dive in.
1: Thank you, everyone, for joining us this week for another episode of Talking Precision Medicine. It's my great pleasure to be here today with two guests, Charlie Silver, who's founder and CEO of Mission Bio, and Nigel Beard, who's... Nigel, are you the CTO now? i uh, recently CTO. Recently CTO of Mission Bio. Um, mission Bio is a single-cell platform, but, but I'm not going to tell you about it, Charlie and Nigel are. So, Charlie, what is Mission Bio? What's your product? What's your mission?
2: Well, our mission is to enable our customers to cure cancer. And our customers are doing that every day with our platform, with their uh, base at the cancer centers and drug companies and really anybody involved in uh, development of new therapeutics or diagnostics or basic research around oncology. That's our base. And they're doing it with our single cell genomic platform, uh, which does a fantastic job of measuring every molecule you would want to measure out of every single cell in a cancer biopsy.
1: Dig into that a little bit. So it's a genomics platform platform, but every molecule. So what kind of molecules are we talking about?
2: Well, we launched the platform with single-cell DNA. We're the only player providing single-cell DNA sequencing um, as a way of looking at single base resolution or gene level resolution or copy number variation or really any scale across the genome from a DNA perspective. Uh, We were the first platform to market on single-cell DNA, and we're still the only platform providing all scales of the genome at the DNA level. It's a fully integrated platform, so provide instrument consumable set together with the software at the back end and the product wraps around sequencing. So we use uh, next gen sequencing in the middle as the readout um, and the platform prepares cells for single cell sequencing. And then uh, we provide the software at the back end um, to do the full set of analytics for the customer.
1: There's a lot there to unpack. I guess one thing I want to try to understand, you're the only platform to offer single-cell DNA at this resolution. What's hard about DNA? I mean, single-cell RNA seems to be, you know, cover of every science is is more heterogeneity discovered by single-cell RNA. So what makes DNA hard and interesting for you guys?
2: D.N.A. is interesting because it's changes at the D.N.A. level um, that are ultimately driving cancer. We all know of cancer. uh, Rather, we all know of D.N.A. as the blueprint of life. But in fact, it's uh, D.N.A. itself is uh, kind of an inert molecule. It's the DNA operating within a cell that actually drives cell function or drives disease. Um, So the DNA tends to be very important for oncology. You've seen a lot of work around RNA because that tends to be a discovery analyte. There's been a lot of work around cell typing across a lot of different disease areas and in basic research looking at how differences manifest among different cells based on expression patterns. In some sense, that's been the low-hanging fruit for the technology. It's been the easiest thing to build for the market. Um, And that's, uh, you know, in large part why you've seen a lot of market develop around that. DNA tends to be much harder to do at the single cell level. Turns out if you just take a cell and pop it open, the RNA is right there. Uh, But once you've done that, the DNA is still tightly packaged up in the nucleus, which uh, kind of think of as the treasure chest of the cell. For all the reasons that nature doesn't want you to change the DNA in your cell, all of those reasons make it very difficult to access from an analytical perspective because your cell packages it up in that treasure chest. So for all of those reasons, DNA has been much harder to get to. And Mission Bio as a company, and even before Mission Bio from UCSF, where we spun out, we've spent years perfecting a technology that does a very good job at DNA. Um, so we've seen a lot of applications develop on the RNA side of the market. DNA tends to be very important for oncology research uh, and especially for delivering meaningful discoveries into the clinic. And that's why we decided to focus on DNA um, and been sort of a sweet spot for us that's made it much harder for the others to get into.
1: Very interesting. Can you talk a little bit about some of those, those applications? Maybe uh, a couple of your early success stories where you and your customers customers... customers, your partners have discovered something interesting.
2: A lot of the early work on the platform was built off leukemias, um, and that's because we launched the platform with some standard panels for leukemia. It's also because that's naturally the application sweet spot uh, for single-cell DNA because the genetics tend to be very well understood. There's been decades of work understanding the the genomics of leukemia, and the genetic landscape has been reasonably well mapped out to the point that you know what to do with single-cell. That's why a lot of the early work on our platform has focused on the leukemias, uh, although we've also built out a pretty substantial application set across solid tissues uh, and and many other disease areas as well. Some of the early work on the platform was published from uh, some of our customers at the cancer centers. Um, There was one study in particular that was done by a collaboration with UCSF and UPenn, and those researchers looked at therapeutic resistance to targeted therapies for leukemia. And they found using single-cell DNA that with the sensitivity that single-cell gives you together with the mutational profiling of single-cell DNA, um, they're able to map clonal architecture to the, the sensitivity level that gives them the ability to identify resistance mutations and resistant clones that they're able to track through treatment and understand the resistant mechanisms. A single cell gives you another order of magnitude on sensitivity on top of bulk sequencing. So bulk sequencing conventionally gives out at about 5% variant allele frequency. If you're really good at it for some clinical assays, you're able to get down to 2%, but typically not lower than that. Single cell uh, with Mission BIOS platform gets down to 0.1% sensitivity. And that order of magnitude can become very important for studying the rare clones that are going to become resistant to therapy because they exist at uh, populations well below 1%. So using the single cell platform, our customers at UCSF and Penn published a study showing resistant mechanisms to gilterinative, which is a targeted agent that's uh, increasingly used to treat acute myeloid leukemia and identified resistance pathways based on uh, the tapestry platform.
1: Wow, that sounds very important and, and almost kind of immediately clinically actionable discovery. That's neat. I can imagine similar use cases for things like minimum residual disease and potentially even early detection, given those sensitivity levels. That seems like a, a, any number of potential applications there. Recently, you guys had a pretty big announcement, though, that you're not, your platform's not limited to DNA anymore. Tell us a little bit more about what, you're, what else you're analyzing.
2: Well, our goal as a company is to provide the oncology community with the complete tool set that's needed for single cell to carry you from discovery all the way through to the clinic. And recently, we expanded the platform to include DNA and protein simultaneously at the single cell level. And this is the first time that the space has ever seen the ability to genotype and phenotype cells at the single cell level, which is the resolution of cancer. Every cancer cell. Cell is uh, different to some degree, and that difference manifests at the single cell level. So that's where the resolution matters for the study of cancer. And now, for the first time, our customers are able to basically bookend the dogma of biology by measuring the DNA and then the functional result of the DNA at the level of the cell. And that opens up a whole host of really important applications for cancer discovery and biomarkers and uh, delivery for, for different disease areas within cancer.
1: And so how does that work, both from the DNA and protein side? Are, are we talking about whole genome, whole proteome, or are these going to be panels? And then how do you design the panels? Are they specific for diseases or, or particular known markers?
2: On the DNA side, it's the same product we've been selling. So you're able to run uh, any type of uh, DNA measurement from single base through to gene level, through to copy number or uh, tiling up across the genome. Um, So it's exactly the same product. On the protein side, you're running antibody panels and very similar to the way flow antibodies run. You have an antibody that instead of being conjugated to a fluorophore like you would do for flow, Mm -hmm. you take exactly the same. antibody and conjugate it to a DNA barcode. Um, And then exactly the same way you would do for flow, you stain and wash the cells at the front end, and that DNA barcode is now bound to the surface of the cell. And then the cell runs through the platform, uh, really identical workflow. Mm -hmm. And by the time you get to the sequencer, you're reading out single cell DNA with a simultaneous measurement of protein expression on every single cell. And really a lot of advantages to that. Multiomics is becoming increasingly important across oncology, uh, but especially for single cell, because there's an understanding across the space that for biomarkers or for basic discovery, if you're just looking at one analyte, you're missing the picture. Uh-huh. Um, and that's where, you know, resistance to therapy tends to, uh, tends to land. It's somewhere in between all of the analytes stacked together. Right. Um, so now that you're able to look at DNA and protein together out of the same cell, you have just a much finer lens and much better resolution into the underlying biology um, and really just opens up the applications across the space.
1: What's making my uh, antenna tingle here is, so my company spends a lot of time talking to immuno-oncology therapy companies, so pharma companies developing immunotherapeutics of all kinds. And you know, protein is such an important analyte for a lot of these applications. Whether you are doing a cell therapy and you want to understand you know, how much of the, the target is there, how much of your therapy is there, whether you're looking at antibody therapies or oligotherapies, what have you, the proteome of the immune system is in some ways a lot more straightforward to measure and understand than, than say, RNA, where you? have all sorts of pathways going up and down and so forth. So it seems like the application space just in immuno-oncology alone is just, you know, treasure troves here for people to think about how to develop.
2: Yeah, that's the way to think of it. You know, DNA on its own is the blueprint of uh, disease the same way it's the blueprint of health, and then protein is typically the way we interact with disease. So, you know, you try to modify proteins or in some way uh, change pathways Based on proteins, mm-hmm. um, in order to to kill the disease, and once you link the two together, you finally have that uh, interplay between them at the mm-hmm. single cell level. And you know, it's it's something that uh, we we've been doing, uh, or the space has been doing for a long time at the bulk level, and then you know, either making inferences down to single cells, uh, or mm-hmm. else uh, applying some complex algorithm to be able to link the two. Uh, mm-hmm. But fundamentally, you'd like to be able to integrate them at the single cell level because that's where it matters. So we're really providing the space for the first time, the ability to to do true genotype and phenotype of single cells, so you can you know, really, in an integrated way, mm-hmm. link the DNA mutations that are driving the disease mm-hmm. together with the proteins on the surface that ultimately mm-hmm. you're you're using to treat the disease or to diagnose it.
1: And so that DNA barcode that's conjugated to the antibody, that has a, a GPS coordinate that lets you know which cell that protein's coming from. Is that correct?
2: It's got a barcode identifying yeah. the cell the same way you've uh, yeah. attached on the DNA side. So it's the that, same barcode so that, uh, that reads out. Exactly. Uh, the, yeah, they're, no, they're physically linked at the single cell level.
1: That's brilliant. Yeah, I'm also thinking about like neoantigen development. Man, the, the number of things you could do with this are just astronomical.
2: Neoantigen discovery has been a really hot application space for us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, basic biomarker discovery is also mm-hmm. very important. Mm-hmm. For a lot of disease areas, you know, you you know that there are rare stem cells driving the disease.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: you can typically identify those stem cells based on their genetics but you don't have phenotypic biomarkers for them.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: they're in such a rare cell population that bulk sequencing doesn't help you. Mm-hmm. And without any phenotypic markers, there's no flow sort that's going to identify them. So this is a way of getting down to those very rare cells based on the genetics. And then once you've got the genetics, um, identify the, the protein biomarkers that can, mm-hmm. that can then be used from there. Another really interesting application uh, that's gotten a lot of attention since we launched has been CAR-Ts and C. Cell therapy in general. And to me, this is one of the, the hottest areas of single cell, and I think one of the most important applications for what we've been doing to, to enable the entire cell therapy industry. There's uh, a whole collection of assays that are built out to characterize cell therapy product from flow to exome sequencing, digital PCR, and in some cases they're using single cell RNA, really everything in between, and then stitching it all together into one data package that Characterizes the cell therapy product. Now that we're able to look at copy number variation, you know, at a single fold change level, which is what the FDA tends to use um, to regulate, based on uh, or to identify dose toxicity mm-hmm. for every uh, for, for every drug. Now we can identify copy number at the single cell level, which mm-hmm. is really where it matters, because that's, you know fundamentally it's a single- cell product, but then link it together with the phenotypic result on the surface of the cell, again, at the single cell level. So you're integrating assays um, and providing just a much cleaner data set.
1: That seems like a really important area going forward, especially as we start thinking about how to bring democratized access to cell therapies and, and thinking about building more off-the-shelf products in that regard, or, or quickening and, and making it much less expensive and less error-prone, the autologous therapies. I think assays like yeah, that Yeah, really okay.
2: that's exactly right. And it's really all of the above. It's the, the cost of integrating all of these assays uh, with the bioinformatics to glue it together, and that cost is not trivial, but you know we, we pay it because these cell therapies are really important, but also the time to answer. Uh, because running all of these assays stacks up into, into days and weeks that can be short-circuited with a, a clean single-cell readout.
1: I think part of the the theme of this podcast is, is to always kind of bring the conversation back around to data. And one of the amusing bits is that very often when you get a bunch of biologists talking about data, you know, we're used to, to kind of bench assays. And, and so as soon as you start talking about sequencing, it feels like big data. But bulk sequencing never really got us there with single cell We actually start to approach fairly large data matrices. And now you're talking about single cell for different analytes. So, you know, Mission Bio and and your platforms are going to generate a lot of data for a lot of people. How do you see that data shaping your identity? Do you think it's going to be one of those things where customers just look at you guys as a way to get more and more data? Or do you you plan to bring some of that sort of data molding and shaping in-house and help show people what they can do with it?
2: You know, um people tend to think of single cell as complex data sets, but in reality, when it comes down to the work the customers are doing on the platform, it's actually simplifying the data. And by simplifying it, you get more meaningful insights out of it. And what I mean by that is this, a lot of times what I hear back from clinicians who are running the platform to study clonality of cancer biopsies is that when they're running bulk NGS, again, to get down to that, you know, two to five percent variant allele frequency, they're looking at a bunch of variants on a readout which could be several pages long and it just tells you that you've got this variant in this uh, fraction of the uh, the DNA population, um, and it's up to you to make that interpretation of what to do with all of it and you know, it could be several pages worth of different variants and it's up to you to interpret it. What the clinicians tell us is that single cell is basically turning all of those variants into something that's more meaningful for them because what you really care about is the clones, it's the Mm -hmm. the collection of cells that have each combination of variant. And once you're looking at the combinations of variants in different cell populations, you have a deeper level of insight into the biopsy and you have a much better way of uh, understanding what to do with it. So when these clinicians are looking at page after page of an NGS readout, what they're really reconstructing in their head is, okay, what are the different clonal populations? And based on that, what are you know possible treatments for, for the patient or you know what, what's the uh, possible evolution of this biopsy? Single single cell fundamentally simplifies that. So you're looking at clones instead of a, a giant collection of variants, and you have much better confidence in, uh, in, in the insight that you get from that. So I, I just want to make the point that single cell in some ways is actually simplifying the picture for them, uh, even though you tend to think of it as more complicated data. It is true, though, that um, our data sets are becoming increasingly more complicated, and there's just a a much richer level of insight and and information that you get out of the sample. Once, you know, at every cell that matters, you now have every molecule that that cell has to offer you. So a really important part of our solution is the software at the back end that turns that into something meaningful for the customer.
1: So in addition to having your R&D wet lab and some manufacturing, you've also got bioengineering Informatics and software and, and obviously with, with Nigel on board, a data science team. Tell me a little bit about, I guess, the challenge of running such a, a multi-headed Hydra, but also how you think about those teams kind of integrating. And, um, and maybe you can then toss it over to Nigel to comment a bit on, on his vision for his side of the show.
2: You've hit on an important point It's a challenge, but I think it's also uh, one of the most important points and really one of the most rewarding points about being in a business like this. We sell a fully integrated platform that's really built from the bottom up and it's got everything in it from hardware to microfluidics uh, to uh, surfactant chemistry to biochemistry molecular biology, software, um, and and really everything in between. It's a very complicated but fully integrated system, and it takes all different talent working together to be able to pull together a system like that. The defining features of our culture are that we are curious, collaborative, and driven by our mission of enabling our customers to cure cancer. And those three qualities of our culture were very thoughtfully built in as a way to enable this high. A really multidisciplinary team to trust each other and to question each other, um, but also be very respectful and openly collaborative with each other because everybody at Mission Bio is the very best at what they do. But by working together, we produce something that's much better than any of the pieces. So it's really important to foster that kind of open and, and collaborative environment. And I think having that type of environment really has enabled us to build a, a very, very complex product in a way that simplifies the technology and simplifies the output for the customers. And I'll, I'll turn it over to Nigel to talk some more about how the teams come together around that.
1: Yeah, Nigel, who do you like to go in and challenge on Monday morning?
3: <laughs> that depends on the sequencing readout we get on a
1: Friday. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but I think, um, as, as Charlie pointed out, this, this is a systems approach. I am not a biologist uh, by training. I'm kind of a biologist by osmosis. I'm a, I'm a technologist. Mm-hmm. I love technology. I love providing uh, platforms and systems that provide researchers and clinicians a way to probe the insights that they've, they've set up during their careers. I think you know we are, we're at a defining moment, I think, right now with single cell in particular that we're able to ask questions of a system, truly multi questions, and see what's going on in that. We, we do have a challenge in, in sort of uh, simplifying data set out, so it's easily readable. Um, but the actual data sets, um, the information that they contain, are very complex and they match the complexity of the biology that's going on now. So we have the ability to probe it and ask pretty, pretty deep questions. So this team is a multidisciplinary team. It is, it is it's biology, bioinformaticians, which, you know, they've only been born over the last 10 years through the next generation sequencing. You know, was on the, on the precipice of that. Do we train biologists to learn computational methods or do we train computational people to learn biology? Uh, this, this born the bioinformatician. And now you've just touched on it. We're We're about to really hit big data in the life sciences for the first time. And that's a really exciting data point. But we have a multidisciplinary team that come together and think through experiments as a system rather than just from a chemistry or biology or a data point. Of
1: view. Well, let's stay here for a second. When you say we're about to hit big data, I want to come back to your, your training and background, which has taken detours outside of biology to areas with maybe more data. But what do you, what do you see in biology as being big data? What would cross that threshold in your mind?
3: Yeah, I think I'd have to go back to a point in my career, you know, where I started on the next generation sequencing way, and this was just amazing. Post 2001, where we sequenced the first genome, um, this was Celera and Applied Biosystems. I, I joined those those companies, and this was a this was an exciting moment. We we had this full reference uh, genome been done for the first time. We spent you know millions of dollars on this. It took years to complete, um, but we had this very rich data set. And then next generation sequencing was born because we had a reference. We could then say, okay, we could do this quicker because we know what the answer. Should should be and you need to chop up mm-hmm. smaller pieces do it faster better cheaper and that spawned a whole bunch of new technology and i was on the hundred genome project the thousand genome project even the hundred thousand genome project and i was so excited you know i was carrying hard drives around from building to building with terabytes of data and i thought i was in big data you know i thought yeah. this was the moment and then when it came to the primary secondary analysis that we started to go through the finance industry for example has been bidding big data for for years you know they've been leading leading the trend they can now predict you know what the market's going to do with nanoseconds of accuracy and they trigger sales you know none of us are going to be able to actuate these but computers are already out there using predictive algorithms to take action based on you know big data and when we were doing this kind of analysis looking across you know i was in the hid human identity looking for commonalities in SNPs or sdrs and working with the fbi could we use this data in some way to help some difficult problems we've kept hitting the wall there wasn't enough data it sounds crazy but you know these are large very deep rich data sets you need more. You need more temporal points within this data. And right. single cell came along, and now we're generating you know tens of millions of single cell uh, genomes every single month. Mm-hmm. And these are also time based. You know we have pre-treatment, post-treatment, during treatment, microneedle aspirates. So you, you're able to get every sample you take is 10,000 samples in mm-hmm. itself. And then you've got millions of data points within those. So now we're generating billions of data points. And this gives you, you know, access to really do some interesting and insightful things that we've never been able to do uh, in the, in the genomic space well,
1: so, you know, Charlie talked about a bunch of these, but I'd love to, to get your take. It seems to me one of the, the real kind of zero to one impacts that Mission Bio and, and perhaps some of the other single cell platforms will have is there are now a whole suite of biological questions we can actually ask. Before, we could wonder about them, but we couldn't ask them with the hope of answering them. Uh, what do you see as some of the, maybe the cooler, say, killer applications that you'd like to apply Tapestry and Mission Bio's platform to? Yeah,
3: so I think, you know, again, I'm not a biologist, and this, this is about us providing a technology and platform to those wonderful thought leaders out there that have, to some extent, I, I see it similar to astrophysics. You know, you've got your theoretical astrophysics, and then you've got the the experimental ones that can actually now have platforms that can test those hypotheses. We're, we're ne- I believe that we're, we're about to supply the Hubble Space Telescope, if you like, for the, for the genome world. We're going to be able to give them that depth of insight into connected analytes. So this is, you know, unlike a company like yourself where, you know, we want to interdigitate all of these disparate layers—protein, RNA, DNA—because the cell is a is a single complex unit you want to be able to interdigitate that and see how they communicate it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be able to generate that from that one single data set. So what will they be able to do? Like Charlie said, we're going to, we, the DNA is very important. That's a blueprint of life. We've got you know, the, the next layer, which is the RNA, and we've also got the protein. So you've got a perturbable system that you can monitor You know, supplying something into that cell what happened yeah. within that cell and what was the result uh, of what happened during that mechanism. And this is just a phenomenal platform that's enabling you know, researchers and then eventually the clinicians to be able
1: to take advantage of that. No, that makes a lot of sense. I, I love the Hubble telescope analogy. Let me let me ask maybe a similar question, but more of a technologist question. So one of the the kind of worlds that I'm steeped in now is is the world of artificial intelligence as applied to healthcare. And I spend a lot of time on various advocacy groups and and just kind of thinking about that. It seems to me that one thing that single cell has done is given computationalists in the biology world enough data to actually start playing with some of these cool AI algorithms. And yes, you know, so whether it's for imputation or you know auto encoders to try to like um, build a represent, you know, low-latent space representation of RNA or whatever. What are some of the, the AI tools or the, the algorithmic tools that you're excited to start playing with now that you've got these data sets?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, let, let's, um, you know, be honest around the table here. AI is not new. Um, it's been around for many, many years. And I think, you know, we've seen uses of that in many different industries. And, you know, I tend to see it as augmented intelligence rather than anything artificial. Um, I think it's it's just a, you know, fundamental thing for me that this is not about replacing jobs. It's about doing things that, mm-hmm. you know, a human would just tear their hair out trying to do or probably probably couldn't do. Right. And so, you know, just setting the scene there that this is, this is not about replacing, you know, smart individuals to be able to do some of these things but being able to look at four-dimensional data sets that have billions of different combinations and be able to see patterns within that and infer future predictive patterns from that Mm -hmm. that is what you know AI in particular machine learning and then the next level of machine learning which I'm really excited about is these neural networks and deep deep learning or the ability to take massive amounts of data that unknown you know I think very important here one of the things I learned is you know it is garbage in garbage out so you have to make sure I think the first Mm -hmm. year at Mission Bio that's my only year so far has been making sure that our data sets are in clean format. We need to be able to train correctly. We need to be able to pass our data sets that we have training sets, learning sets, and then probing set. And I think, you know, for me, most importantly this year has been about our data infrastructure as a company Mm -hmm. setting that up, making sure that we're able to take in that data and pass it in particular ways and keep it in certain formats so that we're able to trust, you know, the kind of information that we get out. But we have really, you know, now started to spark the minds of the, the Googles and the Amazon, the cloud, based infrastructures that are letting us store the data there you know they obviously see us as the netflix of uh, the biotech world this amazing amount of data but could we apply these novel machine learning deep learning algorithms to better not only the products that we offer but also insights into the biology
1: no i'm sympathetic to the challenge of the the data infrastructure data cleanup part of the equation it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't sing but it's really important to do uh, at the outset it occurs to me, though, that you, you alluded to the, this idea of coming up with kind of predictive patterns. Because mm-hmm. you are already measuring genotype and phenotype, and as you pre- presumably add more analytes throughout the kind of central dogma and, and the less central dogma to, to your stack, you might have some really cool predictive power. Like, you know, based on the mm-hmm. genotype, you know, can, can you nail what the proteome is going to look like around these cells? Or maybe you want to do it in the other way because it's easier to measure the proteome or, or what have you. But you hit on a,
3: a very important thing about you know these these neural networks and the ha- how you see the outputs of these systems. They are essentially a, a huge biological probative data set that you mm-hmm. can go in and ask questions forwards, backwards, from the inside out. Um, ways in which you would you know have to do in a wet uh, wet lab, you know, millions of experiments to get these through. And I think for me, the predictive nature of what we have here, we have a, a very good example. And I think you know Charlie gave me the permission to do for the first year. Is to sequence every single custom panel we ever make. Mm-hmm. This is the amplicons that you would choose for a specific right. disease that you have interest in. And we sequenced every single one. And we have a, a, a minimum bar by which we want the sequence in panel performance to achieve, has mm-hmm. to be 90% or above. If it dropped below that, we would tweak from equimolar to you know change mm-hmm. the molarity of the high flyers or the low flyers human nature is to say we're just going to double it or we're going to half it and we we'll see with an AI where it, it doesn't understand you know whether half or you mm-hmm. know double is meaningful it's actually going to use finite quantities and spit that out and give us a program for a robot to actually tweak the right. panel uh, based on prior performance so in the future not too distant future you'll come to our site and you'll be given a panel performance predictive score mm-hmm. based on all the panels prior to it that amplicon you choose in particular if it's in a different panel it may respond differently and so we'll be able to use all of that data that come before to design better panels from the get go. And that's just one example where Mm -hmm. we're taking other data that we have generated um, with other customers and you would get the benefit of that as an open mission buyer.
1: Right. So, so you've kind of outlined one use case for, for this advanced analytics, which is product improvement and making sort of your platform bulletproof for, for users. You'll probably, however, given the data sets you're accumulating, also be kind of the keeper of the keys to how you think about extracting biological insights. Do you envision having sort of a data science product or partnership program so you can help your partners, these, these thought leaders in cancer, do more with their data?
3: Yeah, I certainly, I certainly hope to. I think you know it's clear to delineate that the metadata that we hold is, is no personal medical information you know, we, we are just getting the generation sequencing output. Um, we do have partners where we are sharing uh, that data together and being able to look across multiple uh, different PIs that have done multiple sets of experiments, not together, um, but are looking at, you know, similar similar inferences in certain cancers. And they have the metadata uh, on the patient side. So mm-hmm. we can see, did this patient with this type of biomarker respond well for treatment in this particular case? And what would happen if we had a, a, a different patient from a different set? They would, they respond equally as well. I think that is where we're going to start to see the power of that. But, you know, this is, for me, is a journey. I think anyone who's been involved in big data, this is not something that we turn around and say, hey, we've got tens of millions of single cell genomes now, and we're going to be able to predict how, you know, cancer work in the body. But I think one of the most exciting things for me is we're going to move away from this sort of bulk preventative uh, treatment mechanism to more of a Mm -hmm. precision-based, unique single cell approach to individuals. And that's really Mm -hmm. going to start to allude to, you know, solutions that I can't even imagine right now, but um, it's very exciting to see our customers and, you know, see some of the insights that they're getting from the data sets. Mm-hmm.
1: Tell us a little bit about, I, I mentioned you took a detour out of science. So you did grow up in with a science and engineering background and worked in biotech. You described being in some of the early inge- uh, next-gen platforms. I remember um, the very last experiment of my thesis work was a 454 experiment. Yeah. So I, I remember those those heady days. But then you moved into the consumer space. What was that about? What was that like?
3: Yeah, that was, a, that was kind of a, a moment in, in life where I had mentioned getting involved in this next generation sequencing wave. And I started to lead the team at Life Technologies in the HID department. And this was really now taking this next generation sequencing platform and how could we apply this in the, in the world of CSI? You know, working with the FBI, looking at STRs not only, but they're moving into SNPs. Could we build a molecular witness using SNP technology? Could we, you know, get facial morphology, hair color, age, et cetera? And life technology at the time just got acquired uh, by Thermo and I got this, I believe that the big data is going to arrive in the DNA space, but I'm not going to have a playground to do that if I'm in the life sciences, you know, we're kind of the laggards, we need to be the laggards, there's a a lot more oversight in what, what we can do in this area. So is there a space which I could go to go learn more in person about big data, AI, machine learning, deep neural networks, work with Google, IBM Watson, Uh, even one of my heroes, Wolfram Alpha, you know, worked on a a sort of uh, machine vision algorithm. And so that's where I took a, a, a bit of a leap into the consumer space there for uh, you know about four or five years to, to be able to play around in big data and not have the impact of what right. would be life and death.
1: What were what did you learn from the the big data there? What what did you learn was big data? What did you learn were the limitations or maybe the the possibilities?
3: Yeah, limitations and possibilities. First is just the. The amount, starting at ground zero and having no data and then having to collect it. It took us two years to collect meaningful data. And, you know, I'm going to tell your listeners now, I went to the fashion side of the world. So this was in in shoes, working with Nike and Adidas, and, you know, thinking, how could we make really cool uh, footwear not only look good, but also fit the form of function that you were going to do, whatever sport it was you were going to do uh, in that. And that involved taking photogrammetry data from your foot, creating two to three million uh, data points from each of those feet, putting it into a manufacturing environment that could augment a consumer product based on that data. I initially thought, hey, we could get, you know, 10,000, 20,000 people and scan those and get enough data points so that we could do something meaningful. And I actually took a partnership with some of the, you know, the leading uh, shops in the malls to be able to generate reams and reams of scans and data to make it actually meaningful so that we could actually do something uh, with that product. And we used 3D printing, which was a, a mechanism which would take the 3D data and augment it. And so we had to build everything from scratch, really, to be able to augment. But once we did that, we started to see, you know, true, real Meaningful movements and moments in the algorithms with which we used over the top of this uh, big data to predict fit based on three photos uh, from a smartphone, which was which was kind of cool.
1: So it sounds like twenty twenty is going to be the year that Mission Bio really steps into its place as the big data company in the single cell space. Charlie, uh, so we're recording this uh, just on the eve of New Year's Eve. I've been doing a lot of thinking about sort of what Genialis has done in 2019 and getting ready to tell our story to the world about what we're planning to do in 2020. What's mission Bios' version of that? Looking back, what are you proudest of in 2019? What, What maybe are you surprised that you got done that was a stretch goal?
2: I think in 2019, I'm proudest of what the customers have done on top of the platform. You know, this this is a business, we have uh, t- some of the brightest minds out there in engineering and product development and uh, basic science that goes into platforms, but ultimately our customers are the heroes because they're the ones who are out there on the front lines of cancer every day studying and coming up with better treatments for cancer. And I'm really proud that we're now baked into all the leading cancer centers in the U.S. We're adopted by a lot of the leading pharma companies to help accelerate their pipelines. Um, And I'm really just inspired by the work that our customers have done on the platform this year. Heading into 2020, I think uh, the last couple of years have been the leading edge of the wave in single cell. I think we've seen the research side of the market develop in a big way to the point where it's no longer uh, cutting edge, it's mainstream. And you really have to be able to use single cell to enable your discoveries and and to enable the best research out there. Um, So I think we've reached the point where single cell is mainstream. I think we're now at the leading Edge of the wave of multiomics, and to me, I'm I'm uh, just really proud that we brought out a platform that's for the first time ever able to bookend the dogma of biology, give the customer every analyte that they need to be able to measure out of the cell. Um, and I think next year really is going to be the year of single-cell
1: multiomics. I'm looking forward to it. I hope that uh, that we get to get our hands on that data as well. So for, for new customers, uh, pharma companies or, or cancer centers that haven't adopted Mission Bio yet, how do they get started with you?
2: Well, uh, we sell direct here in the U.S. and uh, we, we are selling worldwide. So it's uh, mostly it's a matter of uh, talking to some of the folks who are already using the platform because they're all around you. Um, yeah. Understanding how they're able to use it, looking at the publications that are out there and more and more coming online to get a sense of what single cell can do for your research. And then uh, really, we're, we're the platform enabler. We provide both custom panels and catalog targeted panels. Um, but we can also build in any content that, uh, that you, the customer, have in mind for your application. So it's really the customers who are building applications on top of the platform. And it's a matter of working with us to understand uh, what's the right content for your specific application.
1: Very cool. I hope some of our listeners uh, give you guys a call and get, get started right away. Thank you both, uh, Charlie and Nigel, for joining us on, on this episode. I learned a lot. Uh, certainly, Mission Bio is, is way more than just DNA sequencing, this uh, genotype-phenotype technology. And and as, you know, as you stretch the central dogma, it's going to be, I think it's going to be uh, earth moving. It really will. That's awesome. Time. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us.
0: This has been episode 17 of Talking Precision Medicine. To learn more, feel free to reach out directly to Mission Bio or to Genialis. Both companies will be out and about at JPM and happy to connect there or anytime after the circus leads town. Also, please share the episode with your colleagues, leave a comment or a review, and stay tuned for the next one. Thanks for joining the conversation.